Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by trainer, broadcaster, and best-selling author, Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Good, Ken. You got the right pictures up there. Look at the man. There he is, the new and new heavyweight champ of the world, yep. Francis Ngannou. Wow. And and he'll be able to help his people in Cameroon, too, which... um. To me, really makes him a champion of the world in in all dimensions. So it's we'll get yeah. into that. I'll, I'll take your lead, but since you had those pictures up, I had to start with that. Yeah, definitely, we'll come back to that. But uh, uh, Francis adds the third crown to the African crown jewels with uh, Kamaru Usman, Israel Adesanya, and now Francis Ngannou, three UFC champions on the continent on the continent of Africa. Nice to see the sport expanding to another. Um, I'm sure that eventually they'll work in a show down there in Africa and see the UFC continue to expand its global reach. But uh, like you said, speaking of global reach, let's talk about a uh, fight in Gibraltar um, off the coast of Spain. Dillian White knocks out Alexander Povetkin in a rematch from seven months ago where Dillian White seemingly had the first fight well in hand and got a little sloppy and Povetkin caught, caught him with a beautiful uppercut and put him to sleep. Uh, in this fight coming in, it looked like uh, Dillian White was on the right training program. He looked lean and mean for a big guy and Povetkin looked like he was indifferent to the whole affair from his physique to his performance and Dillian White did exactly what we expected him to do and got him out of there in the uh, fourth round. Uh, what'd you see in that one? Yeah, the first thing I did for with you a little bit, uh, I mean, you're right on the button, but uh, the only thing I did for a little bit is that in their first fight, White was in great shape. He was in great shape, so there's no excuses there. He was in great shape for that one, too, and he was in great shape for this one, too. Maybe maybe better, but uh, he was in tremendous condition for the first one. He got caught. That's the thing that makes uh, boxing so special and so intriguing um, is that you're never out of it, especially if you can punch, that you know the tables can be turned at any moment, uh, that Hail Mary pass can get across the goal line. Uh, if, uh, you know, if it's, if things line up correctly for that to happen. So I, the first thing is that, uh, you wonder how much, there's no excuses for anything here. You sign a contract, you get in the ring, but you wonder how much being hospitalized with the COVID a couple months ago for Pekvekin, uh, you know, how much that affected him, that he couldn't get in proper shape or couldn't get in better shape. Uh, his body didn't look bad, but didn't look great. Not that he has a, you know, genetically uh, sculpted body. He doesn't. But, um, and that is genetics to a certain extent, or unless you get help in other ways, which we all understand. But um, I, being 41 years old, definitely affected Pavekin. I'm Listen, he looked wobbly, before, you know, as the first bell rang, he looked wobbly. Uh, I don't know if he got touched on top of the head, Ken, with a punch that they didn't give you a good replay on uh, or what, but he looked like he was using someone else's legs in there, you know, like he was borrowing your legs. And um, your, your legs are good, don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, you run and they're great legs, but he looked like he had strange legs like they weren't his like they were trying to go back to their <laughs> to their proper owner you know they were trying to get away from him uh he didn't look right 
he and he showed tremendous heart, Povetkin. You know, he steadied the ship, and you could see White, even though he saw him hurt, he still was going to be more careful, more controlled, more contained this time, uh, and and not not get in any way reckless. But I I always say first of all that. You judge a fighter's age, you don't judge it chronologically. I always say, Ken, that you judge it by the amount of punches somebody's taken, the amount of tough fights they've been in when it comes to a fighter. You don't judge it chronologically. You don't. I mean, you, you see some guys, genetics are part of it, but you see some guys that are still young when they're older. And you see some guys that are old when they're still young. So, Povetkin, he looked old all of a sudden. You know, his legs looked old all of a sudden. And let's not forget, even though he won the first match with these two, he took a lot of punishment. He got dropped a couple times. He took a lot of punishment. And that's in the bank. That doesn't disappear. That's there. You know, that stays. And so I think think a matter of, you know, White being younger, Povetkin being 41 and, and... a little shop one, maybe a lot shop one, and White doing a great job. You know, he he was he was contained. He was he was he understood exactly what he needed to do. He finally used the jab to control range with the shorter guy, uh, keep him at the end of his punches, and then made him pay for that. You know, set the table with the jab, eat with the right hand. He did that. Uh, keep him at a distance that makes sense with that long jab control the geography as i always say in boxing the most important one of the most important elements is control who controls geography who controls the areas of the ring that make most sense for them most sense for their talents to use their talents and so he did that uh you know he he stopped them in the in the same round that he had heard him uh, in the first fight, and uh, again he was, again he this time when he got him hurt, I had said on our podcast the last time he didn't finish him. Well, this time he made sure that he did finish him. You know, he he got him out of there, and that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, not recklessly, you got to do it responsibly, but you're supposed to get rid of a guy, especially a good puncher. Customato used to drill that into my head. You get a good puncher hurt, get rid of him, you know, and that's why you've seen the great finishers, guys like Jack Dempsey, guys like Mike Tyson, you know, through the history uh, of the sport, uh, that they they would always get rid of. Uh, Joe Lewis was maybe the greatest finisher of all time, but they would always get rid of guys when they hurt them, especially dangerous guys. And again, you do it right, but you do it. I, I, I give him again. I give him credit. I think that he probably had damaged goods in front of him, but uh, he gets to have one of these interim belts now. You know, uh, to join your collection. You know, in your <laughs> walk-in closet. Uh, right? I mean, it, it's, it yep. hangs right up there. And he's gonna, he's a dangerous guy, White. I mean, there's no getting around that. He, you know, his, his set of whiskers can be questioned, not as hot, but he seems to, not this fight, but I said it before, he seems to always get hurt at some point or a lot of times get hurt at some point. That's something they're going to have to still make sure they've corrected, uh, or that they're wary of, they're honest about. But, 
at the same time, he's a big guy. He's a good puncher. He's a dangerous guy. Uh, you know, and he'll be one of the guys that will be in line for, you know, for what's supposed to be a real belt uh, at, at whatever whatever timetable that is. Uh, and he's, uh, I'm, I'm looking at my notes. I want to make sure I didn't leave anything out. The referee in the fourth round could have stepped in. I don't think that it really had any consequence with the fight, though, Ken. But in the fourth round, when Perfectin was saved by the rope from going down, I think the referee probably should have stepped in for an eight count there because the ropes did hold him up. Otherwise, he would have been on the floor where he would have gotten an eight count. But I don't know that that mattered. You know, it it might have allowed Pavekin to recuperate a little bit. But at the end of the day, I think you would have got the same results. I just want to touch everything for great fans out there that might be thinking the same thing. Uh, White set up some nice right-hand counters off traps uh, and timing shots. I, I loved it. Uh, and like I said, when he had him hurting the fourth this time, you know, as I had said, he finished him. Uh, yeah, you could... You could probably, if you want to, you could. We all speculate he was a little wide with his shots, you know, at the end there. And I guess we could all, you know, go down that road and say, you know, how would that bode for White with the younger, not shop worn top guys? He could maybe be a little vulnerable in those spots where he was widening up with those big wide shots uh, at the end. Yeah, I guess you could speculate with that. But then you could also speculate that he knew he had the guy hurt. And, you know, uh, he knew that it was okay to do that, maybe. Or maybe it's just some remnants of his habits of getting wide a little bit that they, his new trainers still have to work on. You know, that he's got to tighten that up a little bit because you can leave yourself available when you're getting a little wide with those big fellas in there, right? So that's something I want to touch on. I made a point to make a note of that. Uh, you know, he's been knocked out in both. I touched on that already, both his losses. But again, he's a he's a big, dangerous guy. Uh, he's a guy that now has, you know, taken away some of the damage or maybe all of the damage, I guess, that was done to him by losing to Pavekin, getting knocked out to Pavekin. And uh, I think we have to not take a bow but I think it's okay to take credit when credit is is due, right? We don't. I think that's okay. We we take blame when we need to take blame. I make sure we do that. Yeah. But uh, we did call it, as the great sportcaster Warner Wolf would say, uh, just go to the videotape, <laughs> you know. And and you could see that that we said on our show, you know, setting this fight up last week. That uh, I believe I said that. And it's on videotape. It's on tape. The fans can go see it. But I believe I said that White would knock him out in the fourth round. And then I adjusted that. I said it could go six. I think he could knock him out in the fourth. But it could go six if he's a little extra cautious, uh, which you would maybe expect, which he was early, because that's why he didn't get rid of him in the first round. A lot of people yep. you know, said, hey, he could have got rid of him. The yeah, you're right. But that's where the cautiousness came in from what happened yep. in the last time. But he wasn't cautious in the fourth. He did what I had said on the podcast that he should do. He got rid of him. And um, like I said, we, we said fourth. We said also sixth. So not too bad. Not too bad all around. Nope. Nope. Great job. Well, 
be interesting to see what happens there. Heavyweight uh, division still up in the air. They, I know they've announced the um, that the fight's going to happen with Fury and AJ, but no date, no venue. So, I mean, I don't know. Is there a fight if there's no date and no venue? Um, anyway. One, one other thing. Um, I want to touch real quick before we go to the UFC world. Um, I want to touch on the fight that came up on the heavyweight card on the zone just before White Pavanka, because we got great fans out there, and I don't want the fight fans to think I'm slighting them since we're we are doing uh, uh, we're doing what we're doing with UFC and um, with the great fans of UFC and the great fighters of UFC. But we don't forget about boxing. Obviously, that's 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 where I've been born. I mean, how could I forget boxing? But I figured I want to make sure the fans get everything. So I want to touch on. The fight that came on, I guess, was the cold feature, the heavyweights, Molina and Wardley, Ken. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the fight before Perfect and White. Molina is a guy, first of all, he was the opponent. Uh, it was a step up for, you know, for Wardley, who's undefeated, untested, undefeated. Well, he got tested, I guess, a little bit uh, Saturday night, but he had been pretty much untested going in. Uh, Molina is a guy who loses to the next level, but again, he... He tested the undefeated uh, Wardley. Uh, he hurt him. Wardley, for the people out there, for our great fans and brothers and sisters across the pond, where Wardley comes from, uh, he has some ability. This is my evaluation. He has some ability, but needs to learn to keep his hands up and avoid right hands. Uh, <laughs> I think that became apparent. And, and not go into his defensive moves uh, for too long periods of time, Ken. You know, we tried to teach on this show a little bit, and for what it's worth, and maybe help some of the some of the people out there if if they if they if they're open to help and uh, and want to get a little bit, and hopefully you know in in a little small tiny way it can help them, uh, whether it's directly to the fighter or just the trainers or just the fans that they get to understand things and help them understand, help them know maybe they were right about what they were thinking. So I offer that little bit of uh, of advice in that way that sometimes when he went into that, you know, slipping and, and, and sliding, especially against the ropes, that could be dangerous if you go too prolonged a period of time. You got to be able to break something in between it, like, come back in between it or break it off to the side. But if you if you stay there, you know, dodging and slipping and dipping and dopping uh, with all those punches, two things are happening. You're giving him a better chance to land something eventually. The more he throws, the better his chances are that he's eventually going to land. And you're giving him a champ. You're, you're, you've given him an open door policy, basically. It's kind of like you're putting a sign up if you if you own a store and you went out to lunch, you put a sign up that you're not in, you're out to lunch and people know, Oh, there's nobody in the store right now. Huh? Oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll come in right now. You know, you're kind of putting that sign up because I'm not going to punch back. You, you, you're saying basically come in the store that you can throw more punches than you normally would throw instead of throwing three and then you got to worry about something coming back or two and you got to worry about something coming back. Now you can throw six, seven, eight punches knowing nothing's going to go. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. And that's something that a lot of people get intoxicated with. Oh, look at that. Look at the defense. Oh, wow. That's. But you got to be careful because if you get in the habit of doing it too long, too much, again, you get drunk with it, well, you might get drunk with a punch mm -hmm. because... 
the guy the guy's gonna run punches at you so i i think that's something that they got to be cognizant of for me at least um that they need to correct that uh, or at least be you know aware of that um also i tweeted this during the fight i'm, I'm a tweeting man and i tweeted that he needs to throw less feints uh, and more punches, you know. <laughs> God, if, if I had a if I had a dollar for every faint he threw, I I take you to dinner tonight, Ken. I would. <laughs> I I I mean, you know, if you didn't live so far away. I mean, it's it's one thing to have a to use a faint, but after a while, it's like I was getting dizzy with faints. Like the guy ain't gonna believe them anymore. I mean, come on, that's enough. You you faint, you do something off the faint. You do you make the faint work for you. He was throwing too many feints. They were no longer productive feints. And we needed to see more punches. He, you know, in those early rounds. Less feints, more punches. Feints are beautiful. Beautiful. If you use them appropriately in the right amounts at the right time. So that's one thing I made a note of. Uh, he's inconsistent offensively. I understand being responsible and smart. But, you know, when you're too cautious... Uh, that can bring on danger by allowing your opponents uh, to get brave and to take over. And you might not get control back sometimes. So it's it's always a balance. It's always a balance of these things. So I, I just want to say that that's my report. It's quick. You know, it's short to the point. But that's my scouting report on the... Uh, on the up-and-coming undefeated Wardley who fought just before Povetkin and White. Cool. Well, let's jump into the UFC. Uh, awesome card this weekend, UFC 260 from the Apex in Vegas. First up, let's start with the main card, uh, starting from bottom to top. We had Jamie No Malarkey from Australia. Knocks out Kamar uh, Worthy in the first round. Uh, I know you had a lot of uh, thoughts on this one. I saw you all over Twitter this weekend. Uh, what was your main takeaway there? Well, the first thing that struck me, and I tweeted about it, is it's a perfect, perfect, perfect illustration, Ken, of what I talk about fundamentals, where it's a fundamental rule, law, for me, and in boxing, I mean, it's supposed to be kind of like it's a law you don't run red lights, you know, because you could have an accident, right? A car could be coming. Um, you do not pull straight back with your hands down. Uh, you're still in the path of the punch, just like I always talk about, Ken, like, like a train being on a track. A train's coming at you on the track. You don't run backwards on the track. You get off the track. You let the train pass you. And same thing with punches. You don't go straight back because the guy follows you, you're going to get caught. You're still in the path to the punch. And um, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And uh, Malarkey, by the way, coming off two straight losses, decision losses. So he needed this win to keep his uh, career going in the UFC, I think. Yeah. I mean, Worthy, again, Worthy made that mistake. Malarkey made him pay for it. Uh, it reminded me of back in the 80s, Ken. I, I tweeted this too, where Mike, who terrific fighter mike mccollum they called him the body snatcher he was fighting undefeated world champion donald curry and uh curry made the mistake he was a good fighter curry but he made the mistake of stepping straight back and in front of mccollum who was a good puncher good like i said he was very known for going to the body and mccollum stepped with him though to the head and caught him i believe if my memory serves me correct because i'm not 
checking on these things. I'm just trusting my memory right now. But he stepped with him with the left hook and knocked out Curry. Again, for the same reason. You know, you run a red light, sometimes a truck's coming. You know, you go straight back, sometimes a truck for the left hook or right hand is coming. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened to Worthy. It's exactly what happened to... Uh, to Mr. Um, Curry years ago. And um, I'll finish with this. I can't help it. That's no malarkey. <laughs> Definitely not. Congratulations to the Aussie, uh, Jamie Malarkey. Uh, next up was Miranda Maverick versus veteran Jillian Robertson. Maverick is the up-and-coming young upstart, and uh, she wins via unanimous decision, 30-27, 30-27, and 29-28. A complete dominance for the most part. The, um, the young uh, Maverick was just too much for the veteran Jillian Robertson. Uh, I know you. I know you enjoyed this fight as well. Yeah, listen. Um, I'll start with this. Maverick just looked so much bigger and and stronger. Um, yeah, she really did. She looked huge compared to Jillian Robertson, and she was. She was. Now, listen. I I understand uh, that Maverick does some huge weight cuts to get down to this. It shows. I mean, like, she'll have to decide in the future if it's productive or counterproductive that she could continue doing it. It's not easy to do. But it shows, Ken. Uh, she was bigger. Uh, she looked like a bigger person that went down and became, uh, you know, to get into a small division. Uh, give her credit. She's able to do it. She was able to maintain her strength and productivity, uh, efficiency, and she did. Uh, but that's what it looked like to me to begin with. And Maverick was the boss from the beginning, being aggressive while, you know, while she was striking on her feet. But I thought when I was watching it, when I was watching her come in and be aggressive, Maverick, the way she was, I, every once in a while she was coming in from too far away where she was starting her aggression too soon, giving an opportunity for Robinson, I thought, to set traps to for counter right hands, where where she might have, and she did. To the credit of Robinson, there were some spots there where, as I was saying it, I'm watching it, I'm saying, "Holy cow, that's exactly what she's got to do." She wasn't able to have enough pop uh, to really affect the bigger, strong, very good chin Maverick. Uh, Maverick was able to handle those punches, but. For the future, Maverick's going to have to be aware of that. When she's doing her striking and she is aggressive, that is her MO. Uh, and, and I give her credit for it, but she better be careful in some spots where I thought she was being aggressive recklessly from a little too far away, starting her drive, so to speak, where you could see it coming, you could set traps. Uh, as I said, Robinson could set traps with right hands, but she wasn't able to get the effect uh, the impact she needed to get when she did land the right hand to really turn things around. But I'll give Robinson credit because uh, after after that first round, difficult first round where, you know, Maverick's the boss uh, and everything that I just touched on, Robinson comes back in that second round for me. She comes back and she takes control. She goes to the floor. She goes to the mat. She... Uh, she takes control of that second round until the end. 
The end of the second round, Maverick got back in control and she dominated the end of the round. So the judges could look at it either way. I gave the round the second. It didn't matter. I mean, uh, there was one winner, only one winner going to be uh, on this show, on this card, uh, or on this fight. But he, I felt Robinson deserved that second round. As it turned out, I think one judge gave it to him, and two other judges gave the second round. They gave all three rounds to Maverick, which, I again, I'm not going to argue with because I saw the way in the second round that Maverick came back. But I still would have, I gave the round anyway to to uh, Robinson, um, but in the end, Robinson too strong, too big. Uh, as I said, give Robinson credit that you know she took her to the floor and did what she did in the second round, uh, turned things around uh, at least for a moment. Uh, and domination of the third round again for Maverick. Uh, she was not only strong on the mat. I want to make sure that I give her credit for this, Ken. But she was so good, so smart, so complex with her technique. I mean, it was really the sweet science on the floor instead of on the feet standing. It really was for me. I appreciated the hell out of it. Uh, the skill levels shown on the mat uh, were—I thought they was—I thought they were superb. Uh, and and I think that even a a dummy like me could appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and when it comes to the MMA and uh, jiu-jitsu and the grappling and, you know, all those fine arts uh, that, that are, are part of the great sport, uh, I, I, I appreciated it, even without having to be an expert in those areas. Um, and uh, and that's, that was it. I mean, at the end, you know, I thought she was perfect, Maverick, uh, with her, you know, the way she handled things. She's called, uh, from what I understand, she's a teacher. Uh, and she she certainly taught class. <laughs> That's for sure. She she certainly taught class. And uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed, the, like I said, I, I enjoyed the science on the, on the mat when they were scrambling around to get little edges uh, in the way that they do, it was it was terrific. Yeah, man. Before we get into the next fight, Teddy, I just want to take a quick minute to remind people, if you'd like to receive a personalized message from Teddy, check him out at Cameo.com. Search for Teddy Atlas. Teddy will send you a personalized message. And also, Teddy, I was running this morning and uh, was reminded of... Um, your audio book. I was listening to one of the chapters. And uh, for those who want to hear more about Teddy's story about how he got started in the business, um, the title is Atlas from the Streets to the Ring, A Son's Struggle to Become a Man. You can find that at uh, audible.com. And uh, I always like listening to that when I need a little inspiration, especially on a Monday morning. But with that said, Teddy, let's jump into Sugar Sean O'Malley. He gets back in the win column with a win against Thomas Almeida. He's coming off the first round TKO to Marlon Vera. He got kicked in the um, calf, and it did something to the nerve, gave him drop foot. He couldn't really stand on his foot. Marlon Vera put him away. Well, Sean O'Malley made up for it on Saturday night with an absolute beatdown of Thomas Almeida. Um he ended up finishing him in the third round, but I would argue he could have had him in the first. He had him he had him hurt, let him off the hook, kind of walked away as he dropped him, uh, which looked like for a minute maybe it was a mistake, but he eventually did get him out of there. Looked awesome doing it. Um, what'd you see in that one? 
I see a future star. I mean, I don't see how you can not see that between the talent and he's literally colorful. <laughs> you know, <laughs> between his tattoos and his style, yeah, he's colorful. And uh, and his rainbow hair. Yeah, all of it, all of it. He's got it all working. You know, he's pretty good at marketing. He's pretty good at understanding that part of it, the commercial part of it, but he backs it up. He backs it up with um, incredible talent. And I, I tweeted during that fight, and the first thing I... I tweeted, I think it was the first thing, but first thing uh, that came to my mind was, wow, I haven't seen a guy with this much talent and this unorthodox, uh, unconventional, um, awkward, everything that you want to throw in there. I, I haven't seen anyone this difficult a style and different, unique a style since the 90s when in boxing I saw Prince Haseem Hamed uh, that was a world champion, undefeated world champion at the time. He was, I believe he was a southpaw, Hamed, if my memory serves me correct. But uh, on top of that, he was a very awkward guy. Uh, he was very unorthodox, great power. O'Malley looks like he's got great power. Uh, really, really unique and different. I mean, uh, Hamed got away with that and, and dominated with that. Uh, up until the point that he paid a price for some of the things he did unconventional, uh, some of the things that he did not by the playbook, not by the Boxing 101 book, where he did things wrong, but he made it right, like Roy Jones. I often say Muhammad Ali. You know, they had the ability to do things wrong, make it right for them. But he he made a career out of it, Ahmed, until he ran until he ran into Marco Antonio Barrera. I mean, Marco Antonio Barrera, one of the great Mexican fighters of all time, one of the great fighters, period, uh, world champions of all time, uh, wound up making him pay for some of that and took him apart. But up until that point, he made a cottage industry of, out of being awkward, out of being different, out of being uncon unconventional. And again, I hadn't... That's the first thing O'Malley made me think about. Wow, I haven't seen this since then. And he, uh, you know, he's he's a fun guy to watch, and and he's wiry. You know, he's wiry. I he he confirms things that I always say. You know, you see a skinny, wiry guy like that. I always say, always that punches are these guys. You know, I know you see other punches like Tyson and great punches, Foreman, uh, Joe Frazier. I get it, but. These wiry, skinny guys that look like they could use an extra meal sometimes can. They get talk. They get leverage. They get power. You know, and, and Rob, I know, is going to put the list up there for me. I had asked him. But, I mean, it, it comes to mind guys like Oguayo, Carlos Zavate, Bob Foster, Lou Jenkins, Tommy Hearns. I mean, for the great fans out there, Google these guys. See how skinny they were and see how they knock guys sideways, you know. Um, so O'Malley has has that kind of wiry frame. He gets that kind of power. Uh, he has good instincts too. Controls range really well, Ken. Sets offense up with the jab. Keeps you in his range at the end of his punches, then he switches from orthodox to southpaw. He steps back at the proper time, sets up counters and traps. Really, really, really a difficult guy to prepare for. Uh, if you're fighting, again, my tips out there, my, my thoughts out there to the fans, to the people, whoever is you know interested, 
if I had a guy fighting someone like him, uh, like I said, difficult assignment. But the first thing for me, you got to use feints. You got to feint him, get him to make one of his uh, instinctive moves prematurely. Make, make him show what he's going to do. Show his hand, you know, kind of like playing cards. And you want to see what a guy's got. You know what I mean? So you, you feign him, you make him show his hand, you make him move a little too soon where instead of timing you, you could time him. So I think feints are very important if you're going to fight uh, O'Malley and a jab. Uh, you got to use a jab, kind of like we'll get to it later, but like I had said about Nganyu, he's going to have to use a jab in his rematch with Miocic, and he did, to stabilize the guy, to, to keep him stable, to keep him under control, and even if you jab to the chest, you aim it down lower, Ken, because you might not be able to catch him in the head. You know, he's pretty slick. So you catch him here, you stabilize him, you keep him in front, you mentally you give yourself... It, you keep yourself in the game mentally. You give yourself hope. You give yourself confidence. You're not getting frustrated. That's part of it. You don't want to go down that slippery slope. You don't want to go off that cliff where you're starting to get desperate. You're starting to get frustrated. So if you're hitting them in the chip, you're staying in the game. You're keeping yourself where, okay, I can. you're not getting frustrated. I'm mentally staying where I need to stay. And physically, you're staying where you need to stay because you're keeping them stabilized you're keeping him in control yourself uh control you're keeping him in control where you keep him in the universe you need him to be in the place you need him to be so for me if you fought a guy like that and then after you do all that good luck <laughs> yeah it's still good luck because you got to go freaking execute it um but that's that's what you got to do i believe um if you're going to fight a guy like him uh as i tweeted O'Malley, you know, as I said before, you know, he's he's literally colorful, right? And uh, and he's great talent, uh, unique guy, you know. And um, I look forward to seeing more. Uh, but I, for me, the matchmaking is important because uh, to watch a guy with that kind of style, you know, it's an acquired taste so to speak. It's like kind of having a, a special kind of dessert that's very rich. Very, you, you, you know, you can only have so much of it. You know, it's great. It's great. Don't get me wrong. But it's very rich. <laughs> and, and so you got to have it at the right time and just the right amount of it. Kind of, that's how O'Malley is. You got to put him in the right guy who you feel can test him. Because otherwise it almost becomes almost like a cat playing with a mouse. Or a cat play, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's, it's not, it becomes like not competitive. Like it, you lose your interest. Like, like a, a cat's toying with a mouse. You know the mouse ain't freaking winning, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, so after a while, like how long do you want to watch a cat toy with a mouse? You know, not too long. So yeah. um, unless you're one of those sick individuals that, you know, gets to some, unfortunately we have some in this world, you know, that get, pleasure out of seeing such things um you know that probably you shouldn't have uh pleasure out of but for the most part uh i think that to really enjoy o'malley it's got to be in there with a guy that has the talent has the mindset to be able to put himself in a chance to win with the fight uh yeah. to deal with that kind of difficult style difficult talent yep well, um, Marlon Vera certainly had that plan with the low calf kicks and caught him on the, uh, I don't know what the nerve is called, but basically caused the, the uh, uh, 
his foot to basically couldn't couldn't uh, lift his foot. So um, that's one way. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that. No, you're hundred percent right. Hundred percent. Hey, much like our friend Poirier with uh, with um, with McGregor. McGregor, yeah, yep. I mean, smart. He was so smart. He, he took the legs away. You know, it was a big part of his fight plan. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yep. You know, so yeah, um, those things are available to use. You got to use them. You got to use everything yep. when you're in that octagon. Next up in the comedy. Hey, but I got to finish. I can't let this go. Kind of like you yeah. did. You used your legs when you were in that octagon with um, the, the <laughs> new heavyweight champ of the world. It's out there. The heavyweight you, king. Uh, yep. Heavyweight king and Ganyu. When you were in the <laughs> octagon with him, you used your legs. <laughs> he did too. We were supposed to be just using hands, but he threw a high kick. See, that's, uh, I know, that wasn't right. That wasn't, that wasn't. Hey, guys, just want to take a quick pause to give a thank you to today's sponsors as sponsor, Athletic Greens, the all-in-one daily drink to support better health and peak performance. I love this stuff, and I know Teddy does too. He's been taking it religiously for the past month or two. Uh, he's down over 30 pounds. Uh, that's not to say Athletic Greens is a weight loss supplement, but with the reduction in calories, it's important that you're getting all the right nutrients, and Athletic Greens helps you do that. This stuff is literally an insurance policy for your um, health and immune system. Um, these guys spent 10 years with top nutritionists and doctors to create this formula. It's made from 75 whole food sourced ingredients. It has vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, and antioxidants. This is, like I said, an insurance policy for your body's health and immunity. It's all you need to stay on top of your immunity with 12 servings of fruits and vegetables. No need for multivitamins or whatever else you're taking. Athletic Greens has you covered. And Athletic Greens has also given our listeners 10 travel packs for free with your first order. So whether you're looking to boost your energy levels, support your immune system, or address gut health, Athletic Greens is the way to go. Simply visit athleticgreens.com atlas to claim the special offer of 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. Again, athleticgreens.com atlas. Hey, well, in the co-main, we have Vinces, v Vincente Luque probably ended the UFC career of uh, Tyron Woodley. Hard not to feel bad for Tyron Woodley, former champ. Suffers his fourth loss in a row. Uh, gets submitted via uh, Dars Choke in the first round. Prince, uh, Vincente Luque had him hurt early and uh, got the job done. Just got him out of there. Like I said, it's hard to not feel bad for Tyron Woodley. Nice guy. But uh, fourth loss in a row probably the end of the road what'd you see there uh, you set it up perfect ken perfect i mean it's sad to see the the great ones go out you know when they go out they what was he what's he 39 years i think he's 39 years old uh either 38 39 years old and uh, to see the end come um you know to the to there's a guy who was a world champion for a couple of years at welterweight uh to see him go out uh where it's not he's not able to obviously produce at that level the level that he used to produce at it, it is difficult it is sad he's uh he's 38 years old and i just want to point out his four losses were against the current champ kamaro Usman, guys. gilbert burns top contender colby covington and vincente luque i mean all killers but nevertheless in the ufc if you're the former champ and you want to be the champ those are the guys you have to beat and he's lost to all of them so no listen exactly right you couldn't have said it i couldn't have said it better you know, you pointed out all these monsters that they were against. They weren't against cupcakes. But 
This is what you have to beat. If you're going to be in this business, you have to beat those guys at this point in your career. Otherwise, you, you, what do you, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to be in the business. So those are the guys. Those are the ones that he has to beat, and he can't beat them anymore. Um, unfortunately, it looks like so. But he did, he did give us something before he went out, didn't he? He gave us a hell of a first round. The two of them did, but. But yeah. you talk about going out guns blazing. Give him credit, Ken. You know, going out on your shield, guns blazing. He went out guns blazing. He did. Oh, it yeah. was an old western. It was an old western. I got in a little trouble. My man Rob, you know, uh, our man Rob, who looks out for me. I sent the tweets. He puts them up. You know, the fans got a little crazy because it was such a good first round. You know, the the, the way it started. I mean, he goes out there, Woodley, he hurts Luke. Luke comes back and hurts him. I said, wow, this is like Hagler Hearns. You know, for fans were, whoa, blasphemy, blasphemy, blasphemy. All right, calm down, fans. Calm down. <laughs> take a chill pill. <laughs> they write like, take a chill pill, will you? Uh, calm down a little bit. I didn't say it was Hagler Hearns. I'm just saying that for a moment there, it could remind me of one of the iconic greatest, one of the greatest first rounds of all time that it just reminded. And of course, it turned out to be three rounds of hell, uh, <laughs> that fight. But I can't say it, it got my attention and made me think of that fight. I didn't say it was that fight. Boy, oh boy, these fans, they're, they're God almighty. <laughs> and then I had to tweet back at him, you know, Ken. I said, whoa, you guys are like a young Durant. You go right after, <laughs> you go right after somebody. Wow. Jeez. Uh, they, they had their fangs out. Man, you talk about blood in the water. Wow. But I, it was a terrific first round. It, it, was, it was the old K Corral. It was an old Western shootout. Uh, they both hurt each other, you know. Uh, Woodley caught Luke. Luke's a tough son of a gun. Wow. But let me tell you something, Ken. You know why I'm going to make emphasis on this? He didn't catch him on the chin, which is tough enough. He caught him. Woodley caught him behind the ear. That's a tough one. You see a lot of guys dismantled with that one. You see a lot of guys gone with that one because that throws off your equilibrium. And he handled that. Wow. So this Luke is a solid, strong guy. He really is. He showed that again. Uh, because that's his nine and one, nine and one in his last ten wow. fights. Put himself in a great position to be near the top of the division. He sure did. I mean, he's he he, he handled a dangerous punch. Um as I said earlier in the night. I said earlier, you know, that when I we were breaking down the uh the what was the uh, Malaki fight? I think yeah, right yep. with Worthy yep. that you don't break these rules. You don't run red lights. You don't run stop signs. You, the rules are there in boxing for a freaking reason. You break these <laughs> fundamental rules, you pay a price. And boom, I tweeted it. But again, perfect example. You know Woodley. You know, as I just said before, this time he goes and breaks one of those fundamental rules. What does he do? He loads up with the right uppercut, Ken. He went to the, and he gave up defense for offense. You don't do that if you're taught right. A lot of guys aren't taught right. Let's be honest. Let's get that out yep. there. You know, we should get that out there. But you you don't drop your right hand. You, and I got to say, I, I have to interrupt myself and just say, because I know we'll get to it after, but uh, Nagano corrected a lot of mistakes in winning that fight. That's that that's a big part of it. It wasn't just his power. His power was always there, but he corrected yeah. mistakes. But uh, I give him all the credit in the world for doing that. Not the easiest thing to do. But again, 
Woodley drops his right hand to throw the uppercut, creates a big hole, a big hesitation. Bang! He gets caught with the right hand, gets beat to the punch uh, by by Luke A, and you know, and that ends the fight. So uh, that puts him in a position, you know, to possibly be retired. Maybe it's up to him. Yeah. Uh, he's had a great career, but uh, again, uh, it was it was a firefight while it lasted. Uh, Luke A just too solid, too strong. He has a great chin, as I just said. Uh, Big puncher with the right hand. He's very steady, very strong. I really like Luke. How can you not like him? Yeah. There's nothing there. Not you know. It's it's like kind of like no frills. You know, real blue collar kind of package, but solid as hell in every department. Kind of like Marvin Hagler. And again, fans, don't get nuts. Calm down. Take a chill pill. Relax. Okay. I'm not saying he's Marvin Hagler. I'm just saying one of the great, great things. And there was so many great things about Marvin, and we miss him. But one of the great things about Marvin, he, he was like a guy who brought a lunch pail every day to work. You know, he was like a blue-collar guy, nothing fancy, no fa- very talented, don't get me wrong. One of the greatest southpaws and middleweights of all time. But he was a blue-collar mentality, you know. He, he, he came there to do a job. He came there solid as hell in every department, in every department. You know, he wasn't sizzle. Uh, where he said, oh, well, look at this. Uh, no, but he was just solid steak all the time. Steak and potatoes guy. And um, and I, I see, again, he hasn't had a chance to show that kind of career. And he may never. He may never because who shows a career like Hagler? Very few. That's why I use him as an example because he's iconic. He's special. But Luque looked like one of those nice, solid guys. Yeah. And after the fight, Luke called out, interestingly enough, Nate Diaz, who's a big money fight in the division. And uh, Nate, Nate Diaz is one of my favorites. I'd love to have him on here to talk to him someday. An avid triathlete, big-time uh, jiu-jitsu guy, but has a great stand-up game, obviously beat Conor McGregor. Be interesting to see what happens next for Luke. But that brings us to the main event. And what a main event. Francis Ngannou from Cameroon by way of Paris, now living and training in Vegas. I mean, the story is incredible, Teddy. He uh, took him a year to get out of Africa and immigrate into Spain. Then he lived on the streets in Paris for a while, started training boxing, made his way to the U.S., into the UFC, suffered two setbacks against Stipe and then against Derek Lewis, redeemed himself, and I would be remiss if I didn't say uh, I think you might have played a small part in it in that time we spent with him in uh, Las Vegas. You were in the ring with him moving around. Uh, Leading up to this fight, you basically said exactly what Francis needed to do. He executed perfectly. You predicted exactly what would happen, and uh, Francis got the redemption he was looking for. He's now the heavyweight uh, champion of the world in the UFC, and... uh, Man, I hope he has a long reign. He's a super nice guy. His story is so inspirational. If you don't know it, I'd suggest you find a way to hear it. He's been on Rogan talking about it in depth. And um, congratulations to Francis and his uh, manager, uh, Markel Martin. Um, Great job by everyone involved. And uh, take it away. Yeah, thank you, Ken. You know, um, just to add to what you just said, if you want to hear his story, you could also hear it by going to the archives of our podcast where we had him as a guest on our show. And he, right. was, he was terrific. He was tremendous. And he talked yeah. about that, that journey. Um, so you could also get it there. Of course, nothing surpasses the great, great Joe Rogan. 
but um, but you could definitely hear it also on our podcast. Um, I gotta I gotta take a little credit, not not with in the part that you just was gracious, good enough, nice enough to mention that I trained them for one day. Nothing with that, but I although I think that they did learn from that. I think they did work off of that a little bit, but that goes to their credit that they did and to the, his trainer and himself that they did. Um, so congratulations, you improved yourself, you needed to improve yourself, you did, you needed to be a guy that was more than just a powerful guy, you are, you are, you have, I think, you can have a very long reign, but um, the thing I take credit for a little bit, uh, kidding around, but uh, as you touched on, we, I, I went on the UFC show with uh, with Ariel Hawani and, and Chael Son and they well, they're the best, you know, doing that stuff. All, all those guys, Rogan, all of them. Uh, John Annett, um, uh, DC, you know, Bill Spang. I mean, those guys, I don't know. They do, they just do a really, really top job in in, in their element there. But uh, I did go on Hawani and Sonnen's show. Uh, they have a really good show. And a lot of people, a lot of smart people were picking Miocic to win, you know. A lot of people in the business that, that know the business were picking him. But I felt very confident. I went on the show and said that Ngannou would win. And and part of, That's right. part of the reason was, and I think it played out, but part of the reason was a lot of people were, like, we knew we had three years. There was a little over three years since the fight. We knew that Ngannou had five fights and that he had a chance to improve and to get more seasoning, get more experience. That was going to make a difference. To, we didn't know how much it did, but it could make a difference. We understood. But then other people said, yeah, Miocic got better too. That's where I differed. That's where I differed. Because I felt that my evaluation, my way of handicapping, looking at it from my standpoint in my business, was to look at it again. Fighters are not judged chronologically with their age. They're judged by the amount of punches they take. So I looked at that and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Three years later, Miocic now is 38 years old and he's he had three tough fights with DC. Daniel Cormier, one of the great UFC fighters of all time. He And he got knocked out in one of them. He took a lot of punishment in those fights. I think that's going to take away from him. I think that you can't ignore that. Instead of saying he's going to get better, maybe he slides a little bit. A little bit. Just a little bit. While the other guy goes up a little bit. Turns out the other guy didn't go up a little bit. He went up a lot. But I, I, that's how I was handicapping it for the people out there. We were talking about with my bookie and all that stuff. You got to have some kind of formula. That was my formula. That was my way of looking at it. Was that, yeah, those, those fights are going to take away from those three fights, those tough fights with those punches he took. He got knocked out, as I said, and one of them with DC. That, that's going to deteriorate him a little bit. And so I think all of that was at play. But the most important thing, the most important thing at play was the seizing, the experience of Nganyu, and I touched on that, where he'd been there now. He knew what it felt like to be on that stage, to fight for the heavyweight championship of the world, to feel that, to feel what it does to your body, what it does to your mind. You got to feel it. You got to be in that environment. You got to breathe that air. You know, if you're going to climb a mountain, you got to get to the top of the mountain and you got to you got to pull in that thin air and know what that thin air feels like. 
because it, it feels different. It could make you dizzy, and you got to be ready for that. You can't panic when it comes. And he got a chance because that thin air made him a little dizzy the first time where he showed all the heart in the world. He got dominated that first time three years ago, but my God, he showed a great chin, an iron chin. I, I, I haven't seen too many chins like Ganyu has. He showed an iron chin, and he showed a great heart. Uh, he, was, he was tired after the first round. He was tired after the first round in that first fight. I don't know if he was in the best of shape. He was definitely in better shape this time. But I don't think it was just that he didn't do his work to be in shape. Uh, cardiovascular and every other way, way in that first fight. I think it was also a combination of what I said. Breathing the thin air. That that can affect you. It can affect you physically. It affects you mentally. What affects you mentally affects you physically. It does. And, and it can burn you up. It can tire you out. And, and I think just being in that air, that moment, not being used to it the first time, he burnt up a little too fast. He came out too hot, too fast, too out of control. And I think it affected him. It affected him mentally. It affected him physically in that fight. And he showed unbelievable heart to get through that fight and lose a decision. That's, that's what I saw. And, and I think it counts for some because I've been in the freaking fight business 45 years. That's what I was looking at. But... Having said that, I thought that now that he'd been there, that he has breathed his rarefied air, that it would be different. They'd be able to handle it. He'd be more contained, more, more in control of himself because he would understand what was facing him. And he was. And he was. Give him credit. Give his people credit. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't overstate it. I can't say it enough. He was... He was that was the key. And I always say, and I said on on the show with Ario and with Chael, that, you know, 75% of this game is mental. Chael understands it better than anyone. He was a, a, a great fighter, a great uh, UFC MMA fighter. That 75% in boxing, and it's the same thing in, in, in uh, MMA, maybe it's even a more, it could be 80%, but at least 75% is mental. If you're not right mentally, you're not right. I don't care how much power you have, how big you are, how strong you are. It doesn't matter. And this time, having gone through it once before, I had said, I think he's going to be better mentally. And that's the key. He's going to be okay. He's going to be what he needs to be mentally. And that's the key. The body will follow. But the mental part, that's the general. The body is just the soldiers. They just do what the general tells it to do. And, and I felt that this case, the general would be better, that the mind would be better. And it was, it was. And I always talk about the delivery system. It's one thing to have a bomb, but if you don't have a means to convey it to the target, what does it do? It blows up, it makes a hole in the ground, and when it rains, you could go swimming. The great customato used to say, you have to get a delivery system. He got a delivery system. And I said, the delivery system, and we talked about it when we trained. Ken, you were there, you know, when we trained. I said, listen, you got to start using that jab the right way. It's a foam pole. You got to start snapping it out there, getting full length on it, being able to control guys on the outside and set everything up off that. Well, he sure as hell did that. The jab became a great, it, was, it became a laser missile system. It became like a laser guidance system for the missile. Now he had that, where before he didn't have that. So he had the delivery system. He was contained. He was controlled. He was within himself. You know, like the great Michael Jordan always said, don't let the game control you. You got to control yourself. Stay in control. Stay within the game. Don't let the game get control of you. Well, that's exactly right. 
And that's exactly what Miocic did. He stayed in control. He didn't let the moment, the game, the fight get in control of him. He stayed in control. And that's what I always teach. That's what you're supposed to teach. That's that's one of the most important elements in this game is to mentally be right, to be in control of yourself, to know that you make the decisions, not somebody else, that it's your choice, not somebody else. It's, it's you know, that you, it's your world to control, but you have to be ready to do that. And he was ready. He was ready. He had to, he had to, delivery system, he had to jab, he controlled me all check. We did a, we did a fight plan. We put it up on our. We put it up on our show. We put it up on our social uh, stuff on our mediums. Ken, where we showed the fight plan. Uh, ESPN, UFC, they put it up too. They put it up on their websites. You guys could still see it. I guess it's out there. I guess it stays out there. I know ours stays out there. But for me, the fight plan was Miocic more in control, more calmer, more purposeful this time. Not coming out there like a wild bull in the china shop. Using the jab, controlling Miocic, stabilizing Miocic, keeping him in front of him, keeping him where he wants. Control the geography of the fight. Control him, keep him where you want to keep him. Set the table and then go eat. And then go eat. And he went and he ate. He feasted. He did, and and he set up traps. He set up traps for the right hand. I mean, he 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 kept him at the end of the right hand. As I said, he set the table. He ate with the right hand at the right time. Uh, at the end, one of the things that was extraordinary, going into this fight, he was supposed to be, and he was, the least developed and the least sophisticated, right? I mean, going in, you know, up into this fight, he was the least seasoned, the least experienced, much less experienced than Miocic, who's the greatest of all time as a heavyweight champion in the UFC. I should get that out. He is the greatest of all time. I think now Nganyu's going to have a chance to have something to say about that before his career's over. That's going to be up to him if he stays interested, if he keeps his eye on the ball, and he wants to be that guy. I think he's going to have a chance to be that guy now that he's, that he's added the things that he's added. Um, but having said that, this this was again. This was the the situation where he he goes in there. He's in, he's controlling him. He's keeping him at the end of the jab, uh, dictating what can and can happen with the jab, uh, setting up setting up the the right hand at the right time, and. Going in, you had every right to pick Miocic, being more experienced, more seasoned, more technical, more sophisticated, more developed. There's no arguing that. More developed. He was a Golden Gloves fighter, champion. He was uh, in boxing, and he was a he was a wrestling. He was a college collegiate wrestler. So he had the edge in development, in technique, in all those areas. All of them. And Miocic, and here's the most astounding part. At the end, the less experienced, the less developed, the less sophisticated guy, right? Supposedly, although he caught up fast. How does he end the fight, Ken? With a sophisticated punch, with a counter left hook. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I mean, that, that's what good fighters do. 
I mean, he, he for the people that can see this, I'm going to show it to you. I mean, he, he stepped back a little bit. Bang! He throws a, he, he stepped back, he set a trap. Bang! He throws a counter left hook. I mean, again, you don't see, you don't see crude, rough around the edges guys do that. You don't. And, and before, and Ganya was crude and rough around the edges. There's no denying that. There's no denying it, if you're going to tell the truth. But not Saturday night. Not Saturday night. He had improved in leaps and bounds incredibly, incredibly. I, 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 I know I'm saying it again. I'll say it again. I don't give a damn. You're going to hear it. Because that's how spectacular it was. That's how special it was. That he ends the fight with a counter left hook. A punch that you only see with, with developed fighters, with experienced fighters, with, with sophisticated fighters. Well, he's becoming that guy now. He's becoming that guy now, and it's up to him how much farther he wants to take it, how much farther down the road he wants to go with that. Uh, but it was terrific. He, I'll finish by saying, again, punches are born. They're not made. But delivery systems are made. He always had the power, but he lost. Very important for you people out there to understand this. In whatever you do, whatever vocation, whatever walk of life you're in, you know, the power could equate into brains. It could equate into physicality. You know, whatever you want to, whether you're an athlete, whether you're, whether you're a person that's just working in the world, doing whatever you're doing, whatever your vocation, as I said, you know, it's one thing having the power. It's one thing having the brains. It's one thing having the genetics. But you have to have the other things. And those things are in everybody's realm to control, to develop. They are. They are. He had to. Yeah, this guy had the power. A lot of you guys say, oh, but Teddy, he was born, you know, to be 6'5", 255, and, you know, he can pick me up and throw me away, and he, uh, I'll never have that. No, no. That wasn't enough for him because he wasn't a champion when he had that. He became a champion when he added the other things, the things you can all add. And whatever you do out there in the world, whatever you do there in the world, you can all add that work a work ethic by reaching out and finding out what it is you have to learn and learning it and becoming better and becoming calmer and more controlled and more disciplined. And that's what he did. His power, yeah, he, he's a powerful guy. And yeah, he won by knockout. But he won because he learned how to put that power to better use than he had before. To be more efficient, more effective, more productive with that power. That's why he won. He got better. And he had to work at that. And that took him years to do. It took him three years since his loss to that guy the first time, Miochik. And I wanted to say that. Because it's important for people to get something out of this podcast. More than just, you know, a breakdown of, of the techniques and the X's and O's. To understand that. So hopefully it can help you in whatever your arena is. Whatever your ring is. Because we all are within a certain ring, within a certain octagon. Whatever that happens to be, we're all fighting for something. So I just want to make sure I made that point. And again, my hat's off to him. And Ganyu, congratulations. Francis, all your people, congratulations. Uh, you learned what you had to learn. You walked through what you had to walk through. You took the journey you had to take. And you did it. You did it. And you know what the greatest thing about you being a champion is right now? It's for what you stand for and what you can do in your home country of Cameroon. Because you can change people's lives there. You can, you can affect 
young people's lives there because of who you are now. You can do that. And I know that you got it in the heart. You got it in your heart, your soul, your mind, your character to do that. I know you do. I know you do. And I believe you're going to do that. And that's, that's going to make you a special champion. And as I said earlier, I'll finish with this. You can, you can go and me all check just the G-O-A-T. He's the GOAT right now. But you have a chance to become that now. I mean, it's up to you how far you want to go down. That'll be up to you how far you want to go down the road with this. But it's, it's there for you. But most importantly, you did it. You did it, and you have an opportunity, as I said, to change people's lives over there in Cameroon and everywhere. But I know in particular in Cameroon. Good luck. God bless. Well, a couple things. First, uh, what a chin on Miocic in the first round. He ate some huge shots that I thought were going to put him down, and he walked right through them. Uh, next thing I wanted to touch on is uh, credit to uh, Francis's coach, Eric Nixick. I mean, showed great humility in having you come in and work with Francis one day. He wasn't threatened at all. He was there. He was actively paying attention, listening to everything you had to say with regards to the stand-up game. And um, those guys at Extreme Couture deserve a ton of credit for what they've been able to help Francis achieve. And again, his manager, Markel Martin. Just a great team around Francis, and I'm looking forward to see what he does. I know his people in Cameroon, I saw some videos over the weekend that they were going crazy crazy over there when he won as they should such a big win for not only Cameroon but again the whole continent of Africa um three three reigning UFC champions um regarding what's next for Francis I know after the fight there was a lot of talk about John Jones and of course John Jones is angling to get paid as much money as he can but I thought it was Interesting that after the fight, Dana, they asked Dana about that. Dana said, if I were John, I'd start considering going down to 185. I think this is all uh, contract negotiation ploys because John Jones answered with the best tweet of all. He said, I've gained a ton of weight. I, I retire from light heavyweight. I beat everyone. Now, all of a sudden, I'm afraid to fight the heavyweight. I knew exactly who I was getting when I put on the weight. I knew who the possible, possible opponents to, were. To imply that I'm afraid as part of the negotiation tactics is silly, which I agree with. But I would love to see. I'm dying to see what happens here because you also got Derek Lewis in the wings. And uh, Derek's been beating people up left and right. So he's obviously out there. So I think that the UFC will use that to their advantage. They'll, they'll, they'll try to get the best deal they can for themselves with both Jones and Lewis. But I think, look, at the end of the day, I think Francis has to fight both of them, whether they're next or the two of the next three, whatever. I mean, it's just crazy. Like we talk about all the time with the UFC. There's no layups. It's no like, hey, congratulations, you won the title against a super tough guy. Now here's like, you know, number three contender. No, next up, who's the next killer in line? Okay, let's go. You're up, which makes Stipe's run all the more impressive when you know he's in there with everyone. Three fights in a row against Daniel Cormier, probably one of the best combat sports fighters in any discipline Olympics, wrestling, UFC, UFC MMA, champion in multiple divisions, two two division champ at the same time in the UFC. So anyway, the point is like there's no there's no soft touches. You're in tough every time in the UFC, especially when you've got the belt. Who do you want to see him fight next? Yeah, to what you just said, um the UFC is like the 1940s, 1930s New York Yankees murderers row. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> murderers row. I mean, for me, listen, I think a guy like John Jones earns the right to to possibly be that next because of 
just his greatness, his iconic greatness. There's not too many guys out there that can say that, you know, and he's he's an iconic guy. He's older now. He's a smaller guy, but we've seen smaller guys move up and big, bigger guys in heavyweight in boxing. We've seen it. We saw Roy Jones do it with Ruiz. I know it's a whole different uh, level of talent and everything else, but, you know, we, we've seen it. Uh, you know, we've seen... Again, we've seen smaller guys go and outbox bigger guys where we say the bigger guy's got the advantage of the strength, the power, but the smaller guy winds up having an advantage because he's quicker, he's smarter, he's you know, he's he's more developed in those areas. So that there's an intrigue with that and again, it's John I think Jones has earned the right to be uh because the fans will want to see it because of his greatness because of how special this man's been he's never lost a fight i know he got disqualified one but it's not of you know it's not there's an asterisk next to it because it's not a loss where he really lost to the guy because he wasn't uh able to beat the guy it was a disqualification um so i uh, again that there's an intrigue there there's a money i i think the money you got to look at the money obviously these people everybody does things for money that's a big part of it so uh, you can, you can, you know, you can take care of your family, and or that this risk is there's a reward for the risk, right? I mean, there's a great risk in boxing. There's a great risk in MMA. Every time you get in that ring, every time you get in that octagon, tremendous risk. So the reward has to be worthwhile. It, you know, on your way up, it's not because you you're trying to get there, but the but the reward is just to get there. So it is worthwhile. It's to get there. But when you do get there, you want to make sure that you paid off for it for that risk. And so there's uh, there's there's nothing wrong with that. That that's the way it's supposed to be. So uh, definitely, the the more money. F- would be there for the John Jones because everything I just touched on because of the fighter that he's been because of his, you know, because of the history of him, his iconicness. Uh, it would be, listen, I think that if uh, Nganu continues improving in this area uh, with his power, with everything else, uh, he's a tough out. He's a tough out. But still, <laughs> you know, again, Jones is special. He's one of those special guys. Uh, there's not a million of them. Uh, Kind of like uh, who? Who's the one that I always talk about? Uh, Anderson Silva. Yeah, Anderson Silva. I mean, and and listen, Adesanya coming up. Uh, you know, he's a guy that's got that kind of special freakish talent. But guys like Anderson Silva, Pierre, Saint Pierre, those guys are iconic. Those guys are special. They're one in. They're one in a million. You don't. You don't see that kind of uh, mindset connected with physical abilities uh you don't see that combination too often you really don't you're very lucky if you get to see it uh during your time and so that's kind of what a john jones represents uh, that kind of specialness and so that again that that's very interesting but from the physical standpoint when you say who i'd like to see i gotta be honest with you as far as you know being obviously you know, physically viable, uh, younger, uh, at his peak, um, big, you know, a, a natural heavyweight. As far as all that stuff goes, I sure as hell like to see Derek Lewis. You know, I, I mean, I made my case the way I needed to make it for Jones. But man, when, when it comes down to just 
the physical part of it saying, yeah, this guy's a heavyweight too. This guy's young enough. This guy's at his best, at his prime. This guy can punch like hell too. <laughs> you, when I see that, I say, I, I'd like to. I'd like to see. I know. I know he doesn't have the 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 name value. You know, the marquee value that Jones has. I know that. I. I, I but boy, he's got everything else. He's got everything else. He's got what I want to see as a fan. What I want to see, I want to see a guy that has a legitimate, he's, he's a legitimate heavyweight, a legitimate puncher, a legitimate fighter, at, a, at, a, at still a viable age. I, I, I want to see that. I want to see that. I, I'd be interested in seeing that because that's the kind of fight that either one of them makes a mistake and it's good night, baby, you know, Real, just like that. You know, next thing you know, you know, Instead of being in an octagon, they're, they're hanging out with Ken because everyone now, all the fighters hang out with Ken. <laughs> they're hanging out with Ken and, and they're doing bike riding, you know, to get back, <laughs> to get back. I mean, to get back, you know. But yeah, that I'd like to see that. I'd like to see either one of them. The interesting thing about those two matchups, like you said, uh, Derek Lewis is a perfect match in terms of size. John Jones coming up from 205. I think he struggled to make 205 because he's a big dude. Well, that's why but, I put that in there. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. But Francis ain't making 205 if he cut a leg off. I mean, Francis is cutting weight to make 265. I mean, he's walking around at probably 265, Well, no, no, you're 100%, but I think everyone knows that. That's a moot point. I, 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 I mean, everyone knows that Francis, if they fight, they're going to fight it. Of whatever weights they come in, you know, France yeah. is going to come in at two fifty something, and uh, and John Jones will come in, you know, at whatever weight he feels. Listen, uh, I was trying to make analogies, comparisons, parallels. Uh, Michael Spinks, light heavyweight champ. What are the great light heavyweight champs? He did it. He did it. He did it. So I just want to throw that out there. He was a light heavyweight. You know, he was a light heavyweight throughout his career. And the amateurs, the uh, the pros, in uh, amateurs in the Olympics, I think he was a little below that. But uh, he, he was a, as I said, he was one of the great, one of the great light heavyweight champs in boxing. Really was great puncher, great fighter, and you know, great brother duel. Him and his brother Leon. God bless him. He's not with us anymore. Uh, and. What does he do? He puts weight on. He went to, I, I think it was Shillstone, uh, Mackie Shillstone, one of these great guys out there that know how to put weight on the right way, you know, that know how to do the physical training and the weight gain in a proper way. And there is a proper way to do it, obviously. Uh, he went to him, I think it was to him, and Michael Spinks put the weight on the right way. He he didn't come in at Larry Holmes' weight. Larry Holmes was probably about 230, 225. Uh, I don't remember exactly, but up in the 220 ranges, maybe a little more. Uh, if I remember correctly, Spinks went from 175, maybe he came in 205, maybe a, maybe a little more. Whatever it was, whatever it was, he, he moved up from light heavyweight, made a dramatic step up, with one of the great heavyweight champs of the of in the history of the sport, Larry Holmes, and he beat Larry Holmes. I mean, a lot of people thought he didn't win it, but he he won it. He he beat Larry Holmes. He uh he stopped Larry Holmes from breaking that iconic record of Rocky Marciano, you know, of uh, uh, breaking his record uh, of being an undefeated heavyweight champion. I believe Rocky Marciano's record was 49-0. and 0. I believe it was 40. You guys could check it for me, but I believe it was 49-0. and 0. And um, 
I believe Holmes was at 48-0 when he fought Spinks, and he got beat. So Michael Spinks, again, we're, we're trying to show the fans out there uh, some kind of something to compare. Have smaller guys gone up and beat the bigger guys? Yeah, they have. They have throughout the history of, of combat fighting through boxing and UFC, uh, whatever it is. So Michael Spinks is a good example going up from light heavyweight. He beat Larry Holmes. Beat him twice because then he beat him again in the rematch. Uh, so it is out there. So it is possible. It's physically possible to do. Again, pretty tall order. Pretty tall order. As I look at that picture behind you, pretty tall order to do it with that fella. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. That's for damn sure. Um, well, it'll be interesting to see what happens, and uh, hopefully next week we can have a uh, we'll have a conversation with Francis. We're trying to coordinate it now. Would also love to get John Jones on the show to talk to him about um, boxing and his experiences and growing up. And you know, he's got brothers who are superstars in the NFL. Um, but nevertheless, the next week, slow week. We uh, UFC has a week off. We've got uh, Jamel Herring in action against Carl Frampton. Uh, really nothing else on the calendar. So, uh, yeah, we'd love to have some conversations with these guys, Francis and or, or uh, John Jones would be great guests. And uh, we love Francis, so obviously we'd love to have him back on if he's available. Um, but that's all I got, Teddy. You got anything else before we sign off? No, you just touched on Herring and Frampton real, real, real quick. You know, Frampton's yes. stronger physically. He's a stronger guy physically. Uh, former world champion. He's fighting Herring for his belt. Herring, Herring is uh, not as strong physically, but a guy with a lot of, you know, good guy. Good guy, a, a Marine. Great guy. Uh, really, yep. really good man, good character. Both of them. Good, both of them are decent people uh, from what everything I could see. And uh, Herring more of the box. He's going to have to box. He's going to have to box a superlative fight uh, to kind of keep the stronger, more physical, uh, probably better punching Frampton uh, off and, and be able to control the geography of the ring, as I often say. You know, keep him at the end of the jab and... You know, Setsai, he's real good with an uppercut, uh, Herring, really is. He throws a really nice uppercut where you don't see it coming. So he's going to have to do that. He's going to have to control the outside. Uh, Frampton's going to probably have to get close, use his jab to do it, but get close to be able to use his superior physical strength. You know, it, it, it might be a little bit of a chess match, but it should be, it should be an interesting fight. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And by the way, I saw a lot of comments on the um, on the Engano fight plan video that you put up from your basement uh, about how fit you looked. I know you've been taking your athletic greens yes. and doing the right thing and eating a healthy diet. Yes. And uh, I'm glad to see it's paying off. COVID, I know, can be a bit of a was a bit of a uh, distraction for a lot of people to stay busy and active without being able to go out. So, congratulations on all the newfound fitness. Keep up the good work and. Uh, yeah, man, you look great. I'm trying. Well, I'm trying to be like you, Ken. <laughs> hey, I'm trying too. <laughs> well, guys, thanks for being with us. Like I said earlier, if you want to get a personalized message from Teddy, please go to cameo.com and please check out his audio book on, uh, available on Audible. Thank and Dynamic Striking. Don't, don't forget those. Of fellas. course. All the instructional videos on Dynamic Striking. Learn about all the different jobs. This, he covers everything there. And with that said... Thanks for being with us. We'll see you guys next week. And uh, yeah, thanks for all the support. Take care.